the Garden of Eden, Eve's bite from the apple, that seductive snake, shame at being naked. In episode one of the Shrift, I argued that, in the Parsha of Bereshit, the Torah demonstrates how unhealthy an emotion shame can be. Indeed, it is quite literally a curse. Sadly, and particularly in these most modern of times, it is in the courtship process, or lack thereof, in which shame rears its ugly, fig-shaped head. I therefore chose to interview dating coach Robbie Kramer for this episode. Robbie, who runs the company Inner Confidence, works with men on how to meet women in, well, real life, as opposed to through dating apps. Robbie recognizes that the shame men feel over their sexuality may be one of the greatest barriers they face in quite literally trying to speak to women. Eve might not be able to unbite the apple, but perhaps Robbie's insights can help bring us all a little closer to an Edenesque existence when we all felt that it was okay to be ourselves, and that includes our sexual selves. Robbie, great to have you here. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. Robbie, I know you have an interesting story, and maybe you could actually tie in like how you got into this business with if it had element any element of shame over your kind of masculinity for last, lack of a yeah. better word for yeah sure that was a, that was a, a part, of, part it. of it i mean probably the reason why i got into the business in the first place because before i was in this business i was you know i guess you could say i'm my own biggest success story and my journey of improving my confidence led to me starting my business uh, to help other guys because I was successful at it. And the reason why I felt like I needed to improve my confidence in the first place was I always kind of struggled when it came to women and dating attraction. Um, as I went through like adolescence, I remember, I remember the first sort of speed bump came the first time I tried to like ask a girl to be my girlfriend, which is something, you know, which was normal to do when I was in seventh grade. Uh, I'm 40 now, so I Me forget too. how long ago that was, but that's like what you did at the time. You're like, hey, you want to be my girlfriend? I was too scared to ask a girl, so I asked through a friend, and um, I, I got I got friend zone basically. And it was really unfortunate because I think had I just asked her myself, I wouldn't have gotten friend zoned. And I only found this out much later because the girl I asked her through had a crush on me. So, of course, the friend had to say no to, to protect the one's feelings that I asked through, right? If that makes sense. Um, yeah, of And course. that, you know, rejection, quote unquote, at the, uh, you know, as, as like a 14 year, 13 or 14 year old, you know, that stopped me from pursuing any sort of, you know, dating for the next like four years. I remember I asked... Uh, you know, I told the story. I was totally embarrassed. I felt totally ashamed for the next week during class because I had class with this girl. I was in a small, private, you know, middle school, and I, I like didn't even want to go to school. I tried to play sick after that. It was just, I just felt like everyone knew that Robbie asked out Lauren, and Lauren said no, and he was a loser. And I made it, I made it mean that I was too chubby, and she didn't like me because of that. Like I made up all this stuff about it, and. I remember asking like a cool mentor of mine who was like the PE teacher. And he's like, dude, why would you ever ask a girl out? Just let them ask you out. 
that's what I do. And they just asked me out. Like, turns out he was like a really good looking athletic dude. And I didn't put two and two together. I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So I didn't ask another girl out until like the end of high school. And then I started to have some, some success, I guess you could say. I had a girlfriend and then another girlfriend. But I felt like I was just kind of in those relationships to get consistent sex, um, which sounds kind of bad. But when I look back, like at my friends who were living the kind of college lifestyle, like in fraternities, going to parties, sleeping with different women, I envied them. And I felt like I didn't have the, the, like the choice to live that lifestyle. I wasn't able to have that sort of fun. Um, so eventually, like at the end of college, a friend of mine introduced me to some literature about improving with women and improving your quote unquote game. It was very like the, the techniques and tactics they were talking about were, were weird. And I, I thought they didn't really resonate with me, but the whole idea that you could improve your confidence with women and there's things you could actually do to generate attraction was a total like aha moment because up until then I just kind of thought all of dating and attraction was just based on looks and my attitude was like well I'm a decent looking guy so that's kind of good but if I wanted to have this fun lifestyle that I envied for my friends I'd have to be better looking uh, but then when I understood that necessarily wasn't the case it was more about your confidence and how you how you uh you know you show yourself or what's the word for that like how, how you present yourself present yourself exactly um that can make a big difference so i became obsessed with this endeavor of improving myself um it be like my obsession before that was always sports and this became just a huge obsession. Uh, I'm sure you remember as you know, you're my cousin, you kind of saw me develop through the stage. Pe most people thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but it was, I would, I think I was so obsessed with it because I, I, I felt for the first time, like there was all of this, I like so much room for improvement. And I felt like it would make such a radical change on my life. Um, that it was worth it. So, you know, I was working at the time at a, at a investment bank. I hated my job. And at the same time, I was kind of learning this stuff and I was going through this transformation. Uh, and my life changed a lot. Like I, I went from having no idea how to like take a girl on a date or feeling really awkward and embarrassed and ashamed about what I was doing. Um, like before that, I was, I was always embarrassed about telling a girl that I was interested in, in her because of what happened in seventh grade. I knew that if she rejected me, I would just feel this wave of like, I'm a little I, mm -hmm. I would, I would argue that it might have even started before that because you said you already felt embarrassed to ask her, like you asked her through her friend right? and you developed all these stories, why she said no, that you're chubby or and you felt like everyone was laughing at you. I mean, it seems like you already had shame to express your interest in women even before this event, right? Yeah, I think that's that's true. Um, and I think that's mostly from a cultural thing. Um, probably how I was raised, um, growing up as like a reformed Jew. I remember my, our, our grandfather used to always tease me about 
you know, seeing a cute girl, um, you know, we'd, we'd go to these like family events and there'd be <clears throat> other young, you know, cute girls there. When I, I remember I was like 12, 13 and my, and my grandpa would always be like, oh, you should, you know, our poppy would be like, oh, he, Robbie's got the hot seats for your granddaughter. And, and I would just get like this wave of embarrassment. I turned bright red, like, uh, you know, um, so there's definitely something to that. Yeah, I'm glad well, you sounds... brought it up because I hadn't really thought about those things. But that was that was definitely before the incident. Yeah, and I think um, probably a lot of men. Well, let me ask you this. So I, I don't want to interrupt. If you're, is it okay if I interrupt and ask you some more sure. questions? Or okay. So let's just say now it sounds like. How would you feel now? Like, let's see what growth you've made as in terms mm -hmm. of how you view yourself with women. Like if you had to tell a girl now, the same scenario, I like you. Contrast your mentality as a seventh grader with it now. What's the difference? <laughs> so so now <laughs> there's, instead of feeling embarrassed or the fear of rejection, now I'm, I'm it's, it's an excitement sort of feeling. And let's say she rejected, let's say you got rejected now as a 40 year old. <laughs> Um, right. how would your thought process, so the last time you were thinking as a seventh grader, everyone's laughing at me. Um, I'm not yeah, good enough. It was all about me. I'm this, I'm that I'm not good enough. Now it has almost zero to do with me. Now it's completely has to do with where she's at. Um, and why I'm just not a good fit for her at this point in her life. Cause I know I'm presenting a, a very attractive offer. I feel like here, here's a gift. If you don't want the gift, you know, what, what can I do? But it's a good gift. So you wouldn't take any of it personally, in other words? No, unless my conversation skills were just horrible and I, you know, got tongue tied or stuck my foot in my mouth and I'd be like, oh, that was a, a failure to execute. But I would not take it personally at all. Okay. What if you go to ask a girl out, you know, which I know that is part of your program for, for your clients and other guys see you and they point and laugh at you, right? For some men, I think this is the most terrifying experience to be laughed at. I think to be laughed at by other women or even more maybe to be laughed at by other men. How would you feel in that situation? Well, I, I've, <laughs> I've been there many times and I know the only guys pointing and laughing are the guys who are too afraid to do it themselves. And any guy who does have the courage to do it himself is going to applaud you and say, oh, man, that was, you know, I, I love that you did that. That's awesome. Le I, I want to do it, too. They're going to be inspired. And it's only the guys who are, you know, insecure that are going right. to make fun. So uh, and inwardly, right, because your court, your program, your, your business inner confidence, would you I understand you can tell yourself, okay, they're insecure and it's on her. I mean, you can always tell yourself that, but do you, have you reached the point where you actually believe it and feel it? Yes. That, that's a feeling. Because uh, in the beginning, I had other dating coaches tell me that, but it didn't click until I actually felt it, right? I logically had heard that before, but it, it still wasn't wasn't enough to to change how I felt. I, I had to go through the process to actually, you know, internalize that and believe it. Yeah, it's very powerful change.
So let me, um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about shame, if that's okay. And we can talk about it in a more broad sense because the way you describe yourself, for me, you're, I would describe your entire transformation as an overcoming of your shame of your sexuality. I mean, this is how, mm -hmm. if I could put it into a sentence, essentially as a seventh grader, um, all of what you described are, are feelings of, of shame. I felt like I was being laughed at. I felt like I couldn't show who I was to this woman that I, this girl that I cared about. Um, there was something wrong with me that she would discover. These are very negative feelings, which are essentially shameful feelings. Um, and the way you describe now is like an overcoming of shame in that you, you say, this is who I am, take it or leave it. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm just going to be me. And it's your decision what you want to do. And if anybody criticizes me or laughs at me, then that has more to do with them than with me. I mean, we don't know what, what it, how it relates to them, but it doesn't, I don't judge myself based on how other people might judge me. So that's great. Um, and I also think that probably a lot of men and women, of course, haven't evolved out of that stage of the seventh grader, where even as adults, they still feel this embarrassment uh, to tell someone they like them, you know? And if very, they do and they get men, I'm sure. And if they do and they get rejected, then they feel awful. It's hurt so much and they judge themselves. You are listening to The Shrift, interview one with dating coach Robbie Kramer, Beret Sheets. Just so I can frame this discussion in terms of the, uh, the Shrift episode that it goes back to, it's, I talked in that episode about uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and uh, you have this, they're in the garden with all the animals, everyone's happy and free running around naked, eating, you know, drinking, probably having sex. And um, Eve takes a bite from the a tree of knowledge of good and evil. She's tempted by the snake. And probably the snake might have been, you know, you might compare him to a, a guy that's maybe jealous, right, or insecure. Uh, and, oh, it says, you know, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. It says this in the Torah. And then after Eve bites from this apple, giving her knowledge of morality, of good and evil, uh, it says her eyes were opened. Adam, her husband, also ate as well. His eyes were opened. They became self-aware, self-conscious. And the first thing they do is to cover up their private parts with fig leaves. So in a very powerful way, the Torah is connecting uh, this kind of awareness of yourself, I mean, this morality, this kind of thinking, judging with, oh my God, I'm a sexual, I'm a sexual being and I have to hide that from the world. I have to hide my penis, my vagina. You deal with clients who come to you who want to feel more confident with women and probably a big something that gets in the way of that is this feeling of 
I, I have, I'm shy, I have to hide how I feel, I have to be more confident. Um, can you maybe just tell us a bit about your clients and like what you notice with them, the, how shame manifests itself with your clients? Sure. My clients are all very similar to myself. I, I tend to attract, you know, guys who go through the exact same journey. Um, I think guys either hit a turning point in, in like puberty and they become quote unquote naturals when it comes to attraction and dating because they have a series of good experiences, positive experiences. Like let's say that girl Lauren didn't reject me. As I said, Let, let's say she was like, yeah, I'll be your girlfriend. That would have had the opposite effect. I think, I think I would have felt confident and secure and who knows. Um, and that confidence and security would have carried over into a series of other positive events. <clears throat> so most of the, I've never had a client come to me and say, I feel great. <laughs> you know, I yeah, obviously. Better, right. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, occasionally now I get some clients who, who feel pretty good and they, they just want to improve a little bit, but almost every guy I ask them on our initial conversation, I say, do you feel embarrassed to express your attraction to a woman that you're, that you're interested in? They all say, yes, there's that bit of embarrassment and shame about that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's extremely common. That's kind of like par for the course for the guys that I work with. And I, like I said, the, I think the only guys who don't feel that have had success um, and, you know, they've internalized a different feeling about themselves. Are there, um, so they're, they're embarrassed to tell a woman that they like her. Are there other kind of associations that these men have like in their everyday life or in their work life? Does this go with other trends that you've noticed with men? It does. Well, so the embarrassment or the, I guess the, the fear around that is usually very coupled with kind of asking for anything in life. They feel, instead of feeling entitled and like they deserve those things that they want, they feel like maybe they don't deserve them. Robbie and I next turned our attention to the nice guy syndrome. The nice guy can be difficult for us to wrap our heads around. How can it, after all, be a character flaw to be nice? Nice sounds so good. So, well, nice. But to be nice is not the same as to be good. And niceness is often just another mask. A mask which the nice guy wears because he is ashamed to reveal his true self. We've, we've talked about this before, the, the idea of the nice guy syndrome which is a guy who's who's on the surface he seems nice and he seems kind but he's not really nice or kind he's just acting that way for a result right he thinks if he's nice to girls and does nice things for them that will equate into a sexual relationship so what i used to do in high school is i used to bring extra copies of my homework for the hot girls thinking ooh if i do that they'll like me and they'll want to sleep with me um, and that's inauthentic. That's, you know, that's not a, <laughs> a mutual exchange, right? 
Very interesting. And I think, again, it, we can even relate it back to the Adam and Eve story, like this feeling of I have to hide something. In, in the case of Adam and Eve, it's the sexuality, but it could also be I have to hide my, my, the real reason I'm giving my homework to this girl, right? I have to hide right. it behind this positive, nice guy image. So shame can take on all kinds of different layers in very kind of twisted ways. So you said your clients are, it's kind of this whole picture, right? Like the, 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 the way they act maybe in their romantic life is more of a symptom than a, a cause of a deeper, a deeper uh, problem. Can you describe like what a man looks like in your opinion who carries a lot of shame versus someone who is totally unashamed? What about like tension, like in terms of the way someone who carries shame, how they handle tension versus someone who doesn't? I, I'm really fascinated in this idea because it, mm -hmm. I would oh, think- I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's, that's a much better, much more important conversation. Um, guys who have less shame, they, they're comfortable with tension. They see tension as an opportunity, especially sexual tension or competitive tension, right? they they know how to play with that energy they feel that tension and they move towards it um and that's where flirting is created that's where sexual innuendo is created that's <clears throat> that's literally the fun of it and guys who are care who are carrying too much shame they're afraid of that tension they run away from it they see that conflict and they want to avoid it and that's a huge part of this journey is is learning to transform that relationship with tension and why do you think that, why would someone who's comfortable with themselves be more willing to embrace tension? I, I think at the end of the day, if they're comfortable with themselves and it doesn't work out, they can, they can, you know, attribute that to uh, a failure to execute versus a failure of who they are. So they're going to not take the rejection personally versus yeah. take it personally. So if, if you know you're going to take the rejection personally, that's going to sting. And, you know, all of your <laughs> internal, like your, your brain, basically, which is its job is to keep you safe. One of its mm -hmm. jobs is is not going to allow you to, to move into that tension because of the insane amounts of fear that you're going to feel. Exactly. And I think, again, it's like, to, to speak more symbolically, like if you show your if you show yourself naked to somebody, right, I mean, literally, or f symbolically, that's like the ultimate moment of tension, because you have no idea how they're going to react. And you're just laying it all on the line. And uh, a ton of fear and your immediate instinct, especially for people that are not comfortable with them. I'm not talking about actually being naked, although that could come into play. You can do that at Burning Man. Yeah, I mean, I know for me, I would feel mortified to be naked, right? Like, I just don't like to be naked. Yeah. And other guys are like, you know, or women. And I think both probably have tension, but one is can handle the tension, and the other one can't, I would say. Yeah. So.
And part of your work is to help men get better at embracing that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. That's cool. I brought up Burning Man because there's a, there's this thing called the car wash or some, some version of a car wash, but um, it's a, it's a human car wash and you can go buck naked with like 20 or 30 other people. And you go from like uh, shipping container to shipping container where at first they douse you with water uh, and then they douse you with soap. And all the time there's like, you know, uh, techno music playing. Um, and then at the end, they hit you with these blowers. And I just remember people having such transformational <laughs> experiences going through this <laughs> this human car wash, you know, being naked with like 20 or 30 other strangers. Um, and I, I never did it, but just thinking about doing it, it was like, wow, that'd be that'd be something. <laughs> and I remember one a, a girlfriend, I, I, a friend of mine, she even posted about that experience, how she was too scared to do it for her first like two or three times of Burning Man. And then when she did it, she felt this extreme sense of like relief and self-acceptance. And it was a very transformational experience for her to be naked, literally in front of a bunch of other people. One of my favorite quotes from Friedrich Nietzsche, this philosopher from Saxony opined that, quote, to be ashamed of one's immorality, that is a step on the staircase at whose end one is also ashamed of one's morality. To be ashamed of one's immorality makes sense to us, but why would we ever be ashamed of our morality? And moreover, why would shame at immorality eventually lead to shame at morality. Nietzsche, you've done it again. So Nietzsche wrote, I think it's a fascinating quote, for someone to feel ashamed of his immorality, that's the step on the staircase on which he eventually feels ashamed of his morality. So when you start feeling embarrassed about being immoral, eventually you start feeling embarrassed about being moral. At some point, we might feel be taught to feel ashamed of that, of these desires for sex or even violence or even, you know, whatever that, whatever it is. I mean, not violence, let's stay away from that, but let's just stay with sex. And uh, you develop such a, f a feeling of, um, well, yeah, you develop a, an embarrassment over, over this, these urges, and you cover that up with morality. Like, I'm a good person. I'm, I don't have these desires. I don't have this, I, I don't have sexual desires. You know, I don't have these, you're doing that to cover up your, original desires and you start to feel ashamed and a very unconscious level of your these new moral values you've developed yeah I, i'm glad you unpacked that because it's making more sense now i think that's very accurate and true because yeah if you can't if you can't handle just the those like you said those carnal desires if there's a you know screwed up relationship with those things that's going to manifest into 
other screwed up relationships because those are like our basic needs, right? If you have a intense amount of shame around your sexuality, I don't think it's very, I don't think you're going to be able to operate in the world very effectively. I decided to raise the stakes a bit with Robbie. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, the response to shame is to immediately sew clothing made of fig leaves and cover themselves up. We may feel shame in our everyday lives, particularly when we reveal our romantic feelings to another. But even here, our true selves are protected by societal conventions and by the simple fact that we wear clothes everywhere we go. It is, however, in the bedroom when shame often has nowhere to hide. It is in the bedroom where, at least ideally, the masks and the clothes come off, and we remember what it's like to be an Adam or an Eve. But which Adam and Eve are we? Pre-bite or post? In order to conquer shame, we need to be comfortable with our desires, not just on the street or in the office, but also in moments of lust. your clients let's say how do they develop such that they feel if they have some kink they want to try out or want to do something unusual what changes think, in their minds um you know it's kind it's it's i guess in some ways similar to approaching um mm-hmm. you know if she rejects that it doesn't really mean anything about you it's more about her level of comfortability with that. And it's also how she rejects you. It's it's like, oh, you know, that's, uh, I like that you have that kink. It's not interesting to me. So I don't want to try it, right? Versus, ew, why would you even ask me that, you weirdo, right? That's a totally different right. thing, you know? So if you can, if you believe that if she, you know, says you're a weirdo, it's more about her than it is about you. I think that's the the truth of the situation. So again, it's sort of an, it's an inner, it's kind of a whole mentality shift. It doesn't really, it's not about what you're doing as to how you're processing things. Right. Because if you have a kink, you know, it's not like you intentionally created that, right? I think we're just kind of, maybe we're born with it. Maybe it was developed through our experiences, you know, growing up or whatever, but like people have kinks they're they're attracted to certain sort of things. And you see that manifest sexually, like huge, right? You look at porn, like the, you, you can see exactly the statistics on what, what 
kinks people like and what they what they you know the the high the, <laughs> you can see all the stats on that stuff um and it's not like you wake up one day you're like i'm gonna have a foot fetish you just have it right so it, at the end of the day if you express that and someone says ew you're gross you can be like yo i didn't choose this this is just what i like and you're an you know you're a jerk for for labeling me or judging me <laughs> Morality is a balancing act. While the Torah may lament that we can no longer run wild and free in the garden with our own little basket of personal kinks alongside, the Torah also does have hundreds of laws, many of which are sexual laws, to ensure that we respect others and remain orderly. The modern workplace, it seems, has witnessed a pendulum swing from unfettered and often harmful sexual desires to a minefield of moralistic protocol. Robbie seeks to help us to strike the right balance. Well, you mentioned the workplace, and you know, if you watch the show Mad Men, you get a very vivid picture of what working in an office in New York City was like in the 60s, where you go to work as a woman and it's just constant sexual, what we'd label as harassment these days, you know, guys coming on to you, hitting on you, totally unashamed, um, you know, trying to have sex with you in the in the office closet or using their power um, over their, you know, female subordinate secretaries, for example. And it, that that show gives an amazing depiction of what what that was like and i'm sure it was a very uncomfortable place for women because they were just totally judged on a sexual way um and you see the the more beautiful ones getting faster promotions by making more money and then the less attractive ones kind of like working in the mailroom now you know i think that sexuality in the workplace thing is is there to allow women to be more productive and to feel comfortable in that environment. And I think that's a probably a healthy thing that needed to happen, but I think we've kind of gone too far in the other direction because there's nothing, I feel like a lot of relationships do, you know, flourish from the workspace. Um, and guys simply don't know how to navigate that culture now. Whereas before they could just do whatever they wanted. But now you do anything and you might get fired. So it's very dangerous. Inevitably, the Me Too movement came up. The Genevan political journalist Jacques Mallet Dupin staunchly opposed the revolution in France. In 1793, during the height of the French Terror, he famously wrote that, quote, like Saturn, the revolution devours its children, unquote. Here, Robbie considers whether Me Too 
might have had similar unintended consequences. And then with with the Me Too movement a few years ago, uh, that just made everything more difficult because it just made the waters more murky on how you can express your interest and attraction. And now there's all these dangers of doing that and getting canceled, losing your job, getting completely like publicly shamed and embarrassed and ruined. Right. So you add the risk of ruin to this. It just makes it that much tougher. And that's a shame for both men and women because we're going away from our authentic, our, our authentic communication because of these bad actors, right? If there's a few people that, that caused bad situations and now as a society, it's harder for us to embrace our attraction and embrace our desire and be open about it. And now it's, it's socially acceptable to do that online. Like you can send a DM to a hot chick on Instagram, right? And hide behind your screen. And if she rejects you, it's no big deal because maybe she didn't read it or maybe you're, you know, you're just another guy. But that's what the average guy is doing. He's just DMing girls on Instagram or he's sending messages on Tinder um, and hoping that these platforms will deliver results. But for the huge majority of guys, they're not getting anywhere with this strategy. They're just wasting endless amounts of time and and totally unsatisfied with with their results and i think women i think women are in the same boat he brought up a really interesting trend which is the whole courtship process has largely been outsourced to online to internet and people um and i i think i would again argue that it comes from shame because people feel more comfortable behind the safety of their computer screens like you said but ultimately that has a uh, corrosive effect on men and women. We kind of are backing ourselves into a corner in a way, aren't we? As, as a culture. Yeah. yeah, totally. You have, I know from my experience, maybe I've mentioned to some women what you do as a dating coach and they get a little, they get a little like defensive or a little offended, <laughs> offensive, defended, but no, they get like, they seem like they're bothered by it. Because I think they have this conception that it means men are objectifying women or they think that there's like some magic tricks being played. They don't see, maybe you could talk a bit about why it's, in your opinion, it's actually good and important for society, what you do, for the overall health of society, if you think sure. it is. If it, when I encounter a woman like that, I say, well, how's your dating life? Do you feel like there's tons of qualified guys out there? And they always say, no. They're always like, where are all the men, right? And my response is, well, I'm fixing that problem for you. <laughs> if you don't think there's not a lot of good guys out there, I'm helping to create more so you have more options. And that usually gets them to kind of sing a different tune because um, that's that's really what's going on is – you know, there, there's guys who are just, they haven't come into themselves, you could say, right? And that's that's the biggest thing of this journey for me is it, it was a, a personal journey of accepting myself 
and, and really just kind of growing up. So kind of what I'm doing is I'm just helping guys at a slightly later point in life when, when this would be more kind of normal to do it in your adolescence, helping them do it and get over the, these feelings of shame and embarrassment, you know, in their 20s, 30s. Some, sometimes, you know, guys are in their 40s and 50s by the time they tackle this. And uh, so you're like the ultimate matchmaker. You're like a matchmaker for society, kind of. You're bringing the right people together, not, you know, in an indirect way. You're giving men and women the opportunity to meet each other. Right. And to meet the I'm people providing they... the tools. I'm showing to men, meet... like, you know, and I, I tell that I, I have a lot of guys who come to me and, like, you know, I'm thinking of either hiring you or hiring a matchmaker. And I say, listen, you can hire the matchmaker and you can get dates. But your success is going to be about how you feel on the inside, right? Like if you had the confidence to, to go up to the women you find the most attractive and get the dates yourself, would you need the matchmaker? And they're usually like, no. It seems like what you do to, for people that might have issues, I would describe it as opening up the marketplace, the dating marketplace, where you're giving everybody a chance to like sell themselves and buy what they want. And we believe in free markets that, you know, that creates the best match between, you know, the buyer and the seller, right? Like you get both parties are happy with the deal when that happens. Right. Yeah. It's a good way to say it. I like that. Opening (laughs) up the market. (laughs) No, I think you are because you're bringing, allowing people to meet, and what's really so tragic about the dating world is that it's a, in terms of a marketplace, it's such an ineffective, uh, inefficient, and often counterproductive marketplace where people end up with someone they don't want to be with because it's their only option or because they don't feel it could be the their perfect match was in that park that day and they just didn't say hello, right? They didn't I mean, know what to say. You know, I didn't know what to say. That's that's usually what I hear from guys. I totally wanted to talk to her, but I didn't know what to say. And they, they're stopped there, right? I think that's such a tragedy, right? Like this whole life could flourish together that was immediately halted because of shame, whether it comes from morality or society. Or One more thing I'd just like to bring up is we. T- I wanted to come back to this, but a lot, I think, unfortunately, there might be an association between what you do and there are these like men's groups that are very misogynist and they are very frustrated about women and they become hateful of women. And maybe you could, you don't really, I mean, you don't really, we kind of already, you've kind of already explained how your group is totally different, obviously night and day. But I think that's also a risk is that men not only might they not might meet the right person but they might become just social deviants right mm-hmm. if they i mean you might say they were already like that but where are those men coming from and what what went wrong and what is what is it that you do that's so different in your approach i mean <laughs> i hate to even group you together because they're totally opposite but i think it's an well, important topic yeah yeah, I mean, when a guy's frustrated, he's usually going to turn to like YouTube these days. And he's going to look for ways to alleviate that 
frustration. And he might find a guy like me who I love women and I'm trying to help both men and women improve their confidence and, and have a better life choices when it comes to their dating life. But they're also going to find these like red pill or black pill or whatever pill you want to call them. Um, guys who are more resentful towards women and putting out content that are like, you know, it's women's fault. They're the ones perpetuating this. It's all because of feminism and, and, you know, these women are trying to control and they're trying to kill the masculine thing, you know, and they kind of, they're on their soapboxes and they're, they're putting out this advice and the guys who maybe have feelings like that might resonate um, and kind of join those unfortunate groups of highly misogynist women hating sort of guys. Um, and, you know, they're going to, they're going to find evidence of all those things. Um, and that's unfortunate. I don't, I don't know what to do about that. Right. Like that's always going to be out there. You're going to have these fringe extreme groups for everything, politics, sexuality, religion, whatever. Um, but what I can do is, you know, I'm usually trying to tell guys that it doesn't have anything to do with women. It's about, how you feel about yourself. And if you're doing that, you're just playing the victim role, right? If you make it, if, if you turn yourself into a victim and then into the perpetrator, that's not true. There are no victims and perpetrators. There's, there's simply what happened and a story about what happened. And if you want to effectively transform this area of your life, you got to get out of the victim mentality. Wow. Um, I love that. I think that's so important is I think this victim mentality is is so negative and toxic and actually something that Nietzsche talks a lot about as well. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. goes, yeah, we would have to do another episode about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's it right there. You know, like you can't successfully improve if you're running around with the victim mentality really in any area of life, I think. So step one is understand that's what you're doing and stop it. Okay. Robbie, um, I think our time is up, but, it was so great to talk to you. I, to have you undivided attention was amazing because normally we're seeing each other at family events and it's great to just be able to talk to you one-on-one -on -one and really hear about your fascinating life. You're doing some very philosoph heavy philosophical work in a very pragmatic way, which is a great combination. So oh, thanks. appreciate that. Yeah, I always enjoy our conversations and when I had you on my podcast and we always have really good conversations and a lot of interesting stuff comes up. So appreciate it too. Nietzsche once wrote, what do you consider the most humane? To spare someone's shame. What is the seal of liberation? To no longer be ashamed in front of oneself. Indeed, as this episode comes to a close, we ought to take these words with us and remember them the next time we bite into the apple of morality.